0: What is up, Angry Nation? For the Angry Nation podcast, it's me, your favorite Angry American, and we're missing one of the. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and tag you guys as the. Oh, I can't do that for sixty seconds, of YouTube, but I'll already tag you guys in a minute. We are missing Emmy tonight, uh, but we got we got Sue LaRue in the house and and T with Mountain Readiness. Sue, how are you doing, brother?
1: i just uh returned from uh robin sage i i had a good time uh it's uh it's the final exercise for you guys that don't know it's the final exercise for the guys in the qualification course for the green berets in the u.s army and we have role players and chris chris is a role player and we're trying to get yep. t involved in it but uh it's a it's an interesting time it's uh I, I hope we can continue it uh i don't know if you guys have been watching I think I sent you guys a little bit uh, what got me nervous. Oh, uh, I think it was introduced on uh, January 11th. Uh, the uh, HR 6981 for the 118th Congress Preventing Private Paramilitary Activity Act.
2: Meaning yeah. three
1: or more people doing any kind of training. I probably includes the Boy Scouts aren't allowed to do that. That's, to me. Is contrary to the first amendment. Isn't that you know there's five things in that first amendment? Isn't the right to assemble one of those things? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So it sure is. So yeah, Senator uh, or not I Senate, that's I, DOA. I, not I really,
0: yeah, I really hope that's DOA, Sue. I don't I can't I don't think that'll get an, well in, in this day and age anything's possible, so it's very likely yeah. to pass. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. you're right.
1: I hope I hope it never gets through Congress, but we'll see.
0: Yeah. T how, uh, how are you hey, doing, man?
2: You want you want to go out to Robin's Age and play with Sue? And not yet. I'm still waiting for Sue to get me in there. Get me in there. I'm I'm ready, though. I'm ready to go lose my 30 pounds, you know, sleep in the dirt and all that kind of fun stuff. So, But here I am, still 30 pounds heavier. Not there yet. Yeah,
0: I, I, they moved our lane. Um, our, our lane got moved to... A, well, our camp for our lane got moved to a, to a new position. And I got to see it while I was up there. And uh, I thought the other one
2: was bad. But, man, I wish we were back there. Because the new one really sucks. that makes me want to go even more you know just it's thinking awesome. about how as i want i'm there i'm there no i've been if are looking to a place yet. to suck dude it's, it's a good place to do it it's a real good place to embrace the suck so. hook me up hook me up sue hey, <laughs> right, and guys tonight
0: and since we don't have emory we've got an awesome dude in here um so I've known him for a little while and I'm and I'm, and, and you guys will find it humorous that I'm a big fan of his. Uh, we've got Joel with Fortress K9 and he breeds some amazing Malinois uh, and trains them up and uh, and they're fantastic dogs. Joel, how the hell are you doing, man? Doing awesome. How are you guys doing tonight? Good, good. I, Great. Th- th- this is the question I wanted to ask you since I saw you the first time. What's your dog dog food bill a month like?
3: Because uh, I know many like about- dogs you have
0: in the breeding program.
3: <laughs> yeah we, we have we spend about two thousand dollars a month on dog food and uh we buy it by the pallet you know we get typically about 20 bags at a time on pallets about every two weeks so yeah we burn through it Damn. pretty good so you're
2: only spending you're only spending like two hundred dollars more than what i do every month on my two <laughs> sorry welfare recipient dogs that lay around the house and do nothing but eat yep yeah i got
3: two democrats laid in the yard right now Right with that. Yeah. Yeah, I make mine work for their food, though, so they got to work hard.
0: For yeah, yeah yours is definitely
1: working.
0: <laughs> so let's, uh, real quick, Joe, let's tell everybody who Fortress K9 is, uh, who you guys are, and, and and what you're doing, and then we'll we'll get into some good talk on
3: dogs. All right, pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, we're Fortress K9. We uh, breed, train, and sell uh, Belgian Malinois, German Shepherds, and Dutch Shepherds. And um, a couple of things that we do that are kind of different from the standard industry stuff is, number one, um, we cross our lines. So we end up getting a lot of the best uh, character qualities and traits from all three of the breeds in each of our dogs, uh, which is one of the things that makes them really good for family protection. Uh, But we also try to maintain lines that can also go into tactical environments and things like that should the need arise. And, um, and then we, we sell a certain number of puppies every year. But our, our primary focus and moneymaker is that um, we sell the trained protection dogs. So we have personal family and executive protection dogs that we sell every year. Nice. And how about how many dogs a year are you selling? We sell between 12 and 20 dogs a year on average. Um, the, the economy actually has a lot to do with kind of how many uh, trained dogs versus puppies we sell. Uh, I was just kind of picking this up on this last cycle. So when we have a Republican president, we tend to sell a lot of puppies and less trained dogs because everybody's like, oh, everything's great. Like we're feeling pretty good about life when we get a Democrat president, which kind of makes me uh, torn on who I I hope wins each election. uh, (laughs) My puppy sales go way down, but my trained dog sales go way up uh, because the people that, um, you know, when the economy gets bad and things like that, the people that have the money to afford our dogs in the first place tend to start getting kind of concerned about security. And so they want trained protection dogs. And so my protection dog sales go way up. And uh, when the economy's great, you know, kind of the, the middle class ish area is, um, you know, buys a lot more of our puppies. So it's, uh, you know, it makes me feel a little torn over it. I'm like, I don't know, like it wouldn't be the worst thing for my business. If Biden got reelected, it might be bad for the country, but uh, I'll, I'll sure sell a lot more dogs if that happens. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It's funny that the the the, the protection canine
3: market
0: tracks the gun market so closely that's interesting
3: oh yeah yeah that it's exactly right it's like if there's a bunch of guns being sold I'm selling a lot of protection dogs and if the gun sales are down i'm selling more puppies
0: that's awesome so i'm curious what what would you say is the difference when when you're talking protection dogs between a family protection dog and a and a working canine like i know sue you work with working canines military canines right
1: yeah, I was sure, I was sure. lucky to be in the one of the pilot programs for special forces. There was a seventh group, and then when I was at, it was tenth group, and uh, we we uh, I was not a dog handler myself. I was pulled off because to do the visual tracking, train up all the uh, the handlers and the security guys yeah. for the tracking piece of it. My history taught me, you know, uh, teaching tracking that. And I've seen several dogs in the past, you know, whether it's search and rescue or a law a law enforcement scene or drugs or mm-hmm. something like that, that I I, I always always was with the impression that okay, a dog has to be trained in a certain area, and uh, the uh, the breed is kind of dependent on you know. Uh, do they make a good sniff dog, aerial search or uh, ground search dog? You know, we had hounds and we had we had Labradors and everything, and then protection. Of course, you got we had German Shepherds and things like that. But when I got into this pilot program, the I was introduced to the Belgian Malwa, and that's just an incredible dog. That dog could do, do all four, depending on the handler, of course. Right, yep. but the 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 Malinois just wants to work, and he he loves. He loves doing that work, and uh, there's nothing he really can't do, you know. So if you wanted an explosive sniffing dog and a tracking dog and a protection dog or work off a leash dog, the Belgian Owl was by far the best breed. So it just blew my mind out how how well they were.
3: Exactly, exactly. My personal dog right now is a and uh, he tracks off lead, so we can do hostile and non-hostile tracks with him. Uh, he's also an explosive detection dog, and uh, and then he'll be with me at Mountain Readiness as one of our demo dogs for the bite work and the protection and all that kind of stuff. So they get definitely can do whatever it is you need them to do. The big difference between uh, on the tracking end between any of the breeds we work and say the hound dogs is we can run tracks up to about seventy two hours old. Um, if the the person has been missing longer than seventy two hours. Uh, that's when we bring in like the hounds or the Airedales or something like that, that uh, can run those up to seven day old tracks typically. And, wow. um, and so that's, that's the the big difference on the tracking side. And then when it comes to what most people think of as working dogs, like the police dogs or the military dogs versus what we do is the biggest difference is we put a lot of what we call stability into our dogs. So that means you don't put your mouth on anything that I didn't specifically tell you to put your mouth on. And, uh, and my growing up into the dog world time, I worked with a lot of tier one operators, JTF2 in Canada. Uh, we worked with uh, the CAG and the dev group guys, as well as a lot of your tier two special forces guys. And, um, and we would hear stories of them working with dogs and teammates getting bit by dogs on missions and things like that which I'm sure doesn't happen as often as, you know, it kind of sounds like, because whenever something happens, it gets blown out of proportion, right? But um, the one of the big focuses we put into our dogs is, you know, they're safe around children, they're safe around other pets and cats and all that kind of stuff. And then um, and then we really, really focus on discipline. So I, I often tell people, you know, when we cross German Shepherd into Malley, it tends to calm the Malley down a little bit and uh and it, it gives them a little bit more of that thought process the german shepherds have you know malinois especially your sport bred or your your straight line bread malinois you know you you can kind of point them in a direction and say go and if there's a concrete wall there they will try and smash that concrete wall right not literally but that's kind of their their temperament and personality is they're just like i'll smash through it and crash Whereas the German Shepherd kind of goes, hmm, there's a wall there. Uh, oh, but look, there's an end on, on that end. I'm going to run down and around the wall, and then I'll go get the, the guy or do whatever it is I'm supposed to do on the other side. And uh, so when you start crossing them, you start getting a lot of the benefits of both. And then if you're familiar with breeding any kind of animal, uh, when you cross two lines of whether it's chickens or cows or dogs, you uh, your first generation, you get something called hybrid vigor and so what tends to happen in genetics is most of your genetic problems are recessive genes so whether it's you know a tendency to get cancer or whether it's a a body structure problem or whether it's a mental problem in the dogs they're mostly recessive so in order to have that manifest in the dog you have to have both parents have that recessive gene and then you'll you'll get some pups that can have that problem when you do a crossbreeding you get the dot whatever the dominant genes of either breed are you get those all bred in and they refer to that as hybrid vigor so you tend to get this really strong boost of capabilities and mental capability the ability to solve problems so they can see a thing and just kind of figure out what to do there um, you get more of the confidence more of the uh, physical health and all that kind of stuff when you do that kind of stuff and then we put the discipline into the dog so i tell my new trainers the most important thing you can teach these young puppies, because we'll have like young Malinois puppies out there, right, is to lay on this table and not move for an hour. Like that's one of the very first things they learn. So we teach them to sit, and we teach them to lay down, and then when it's not their turn to work, they're to lay on their table and not move. Now they, you know, they can shift a little bit, but don't jump off the table and don't get out of position. Right now, of course, when you first start that, they're constantly jumping off the tables, and we're putting them back and Uh, and training them to stay there but after a couple of weeks of training they'll lay for two hours on that table you know other than when it's their turn to go do whatever we're doing that day and so when you put that level of discipline into the dogs and you take them into a home and you say there's your place in the house next to the couch or wherever it's convenient and stay there and our dogs will stay there all day long if they need to and um, now of course you don't want to do that day after day after day with a a working dog Uh, you want to do stuff with them but if You know, if it's an admin day here at the office and I bring dogs in and they're to lay down, then they go to their places. They stay there and they only go out when we take them out to use the bathroom and feed them and stuff like that. So, that, yeah, that transitions really well to a family environment because you don't want your dog eating your couch. If it's there to protect the family, it's got to be able to function in the family environment.
2: I'm trying to get Amber to do that for years now, you know, the whole stay in one spot thing and. It still hasn't happened. You know, maybe maybe I can lean on Joel. Maybe Joel can help me out with that. You got you to crate train them when you're young, T. You got to crate train them when you're young. Is though. that what it is? I miss the boat. I missed yeah, the boat, the y'all. Training,
3: <laughs> it's difficult oh, when they're – if you use a plastic crate or the wire mesh crates, like the wire uh, crates that they make – any of the any full size dog can break out of those oh, if yeah. they decide they want to. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so if you don't want them doing that and those are the crates you're using, yeah, you definitely gotta train them as a pup. Now you can get like a, a gunner crate or an impact dog crate, those big steel uh dog crates, and uh and crate train them in those if you really are committed to it and it's something that's important to you. But um the, the thing I always say is dog training is so simple that most people don't believe it. And because they don't believe it, they won't do the simple things to train the dogs to do what they need to do. So all you have to do is show a dog what you want it to do. You have to communicate to it. This is what I want you to do. And then you praise it when it does it and you correct it when it doesn't. And that's it. If you can do those two things, praise them when they do what they're supposed to do and correct them when they don't do what they're supposed to do. They will do more of what you want and less of what you don't want. And then you just have to be disciplined and consistent as the handler or owner of the dog. But like, I tell people that, and they're like, no way, it's not that easy. And I can take a dog for a couple of days and have it doing things. And they're like, well, how did you do that? And I'm like, I'm just consistent and disciplined in what I expect the dog to do. And they do it. And it's not easy, but it's definitely uh, worth doing. And you know, I, I, I
1: they've really, they're really modern. I, I'm, I'm impressed that you're mixing the breeds because, uh, and this is almost 20 years ago. This is 2006, and we we did nine months of training. We took the dogs over there, did a tour. and I mean, we had the IED sales rolled up with three, 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 four months. I mean, yep. they, they couldn't put an IED out without us, number one, going out and investigating it because we had visual trackers too, figuring out how they were putting them in there, doing our countermeasures, and we never lost a guy. We had one dog that got a piece of shrapnel to an ID that nobody was expecting, but none of none of my team was wounded or hurt or anything thanks to those dogs. The yep. the one weakness we did have is after about 45 minutes, especially doing tracking, tracking that really brings up their heart rate. Yes. But uh the heat, the heat was really hard to deal with and we'd have to put the dog up and then we'd go back to visual tracking, get the dog cooled down, bring the dog back out. So you're mixing the breeds. Are you doing that for environmental reasons too? I mean, do you have some of of your dogs work better in the cold or the heat? All of our dogs work
3: really good in the cold. I spent about seven years in Fairbanks, Alaska. And so we would be out tracking at minus 65 degrees and had zero issues, no frostbite on the ears or tails or anything like that. But they were outside being acclimated to it for at least several hours every single day. But the heat is definitely uh, uh, the area that you have to really watch with dogs. There's some things that you can do to help uh, extend that out. There's there's cooling, um, you know, very, there's from simple ones that are like a chamois that is kind of uh, sewed up like a dog vest that you soak with water and it kind of sweats off and you can keep rewetting it to cool the dog. Um, there was even a company I was working with them, but I don't think they ever got off the ground uh, with their contracts that was making a uh, it looks like a CO2 cartridge, but it's full of nitrogen gas and you would screw this little nitrogen gas cylinder in and then in the vest it had all these little tubes and then you could literally dial it up and down like an air conditioning system and it would would leak this nitrogen gas out that would cool off and it was like an air conditioning system for the dogs and uh, i just think the cost per unit was probably you know multi thousands of dollars per per unit and they weren't able to get that off the ground but if they if you had something like that that would extend them out and then another really important one is um, if their snout, because they're using their, their whole navel cavity and everything to draw that scent in, right? And because uh, and, they're not only walking or, or even pulling into a lead if you're tracking them on lead, but they're also using their entire respiratory system to try and draw this information in, interpret the information, and then, you know, maintain, figure out where is this scent coming from and how do I find the source of it? And, uh, and so there's a lot that the only way you can build endurance in tracking is to go out and track. You can't run with your dog and build endurance and tracking. You'll build physical endurance that way, but the, the tracking itself still has to be built up from, you know, maybe a quarter mile track to uh, one to two or three mile track. But if you can keep their nasal cavities and all that kind of stuff moist. Uh, so I've known guys who do a lot of urban tracking and they'll actually carry like the Mr. Spray bottles and they'll spray them in the face. And uh, the dogs will kind of breathe it in when they spray them in the face. Once they get used to it, they like it. And um, and that'll help keep the navel cavities, uh, you know, cool and moist as well. Or you can just give them water periodically as you go. Um, But of course, you know, that that's your your big thing you're dealing with in the heat is dogs don't sweat like we do. So the only way that they get rid of their body heat is they pant it out. And um, and so they're limited in how much of their heat they can get out, especially if they're in direct sunlight. So the Malleys do tend to do better than most of the other breeds, but I think that's primarily because their coat is like a tan. So it doesn't get hot. Like a a Dutch Shepherd has a much darker coat and they tend to have a really tight coat and the dark tight coated dogs. You can literally put your hand on their coat and it feels hot. Like it'll almost burn your hand. Well, they're essentially inside that oven. And so they'll heat up really quickly. The longer hair dogs weirdly uh, can handle the heat better because it's almost like there's that that buffer between the, the sun hitting it on the outside and then their actual skin, and then the lighter-colored dogs like the Malawas, which also blend into the, the desert-ish type environment better as well, but they tend to not get as hot as fast, but you do definitely still have to watch it.
0: Hmm. So if, if people, like, um, if there's folks out there that are thinking they want protection dogs or they want, uh, you know, like an actual... Well, we'll say protection dog, <laughs> but you know, probably what I was just thinking, like if people start looking down this 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 road, and you know, I know it's expensive, it's a big commitment, and everything, but but what was what's the first thing you would tell them, or the first thing they need to be thinking about, like how how should they how should they approach this as as com- compared to how people usually approach it?
3: <laughs> yeah, so a lot of people when they get a dog in general, right, they look and they they get a dog that they like the look of. And they're like, oh, I really like the Cane Corso. That's a cool looking dog. I want one of those. And then they get this dog and then they're like, can you train it to do all these other things? And I'm like, okay, first of all, every breed was created to serve a purpose, right? So there are hunting dogs, there are pointing dogs, there are uh, retrieving dogs. And then there are dogs that even though the Malinois, the German Shepherd and the Dutch Shepherd all originated from Shepherd's dogs. Uh, which are different than herding dogs, by the way. Sometimes they're referred to as herding dogs, but your border collies, your blue healers, your red healers, those are herding dogs. They're they're trained to go out and then you know, round up a herd of animals, whether it's sheep or cows or whatever, and then move them in the way that the, the handler is directing them. A shepherd's dog was always bred from the very beginning to move with the shepherd and assist the shepherd. So, like we'll move cows with our dogs sometimes. we don't send them out to move the cows we move with the dogs and they they watch us when they're young and they see oh like if you do different arm movements and things like when i want my cows to move to my left i'll take my right arm and i'll kind of like be moving it as i'm shifting to the right so that they'll move to the left right and the dogs will watch those movements and real quickly they'll pick up oh i know what you're doing here and then they'll swing around when you swing your right arm out they'll swing around to the right and push the cows to the left or you use your left arm and they'll swing around to the left and push them to the right. And, um, and so they'll work alongside shepherds really well that way, but you need to look at what was the breed, like what do I want my dog to do? And then what breeds do that thing that I want to do? And for protection specifics, it's what dogs have been bred for say the last hundred years to do that specific job. And the primary examples of that are the German Shepherd, the Dutch Shepherd, and the Belgian Malinois. Now German Shepherds uh, have been in the kennel clubs for a long time. So like the AKC and the CKC, the American Kennel Club and the Canadian Kennel Club. And I'm not a fan of the kennel clubs. Um, And essentially I, I say, any dog that's registered by the AKC has probably been destroyed. And the evidence of that is type in whatever breed you're interested in, and 1920 in a google search or whatever you use on the internet and then just click on images and look at images of those dogs in the 1920s and then type in that same breed with 2022 best of show akc and look at what they consider best of show in that same breed and just compare those two breeds together and go well have they made the breed better or worse just based off those images right and so the the German Shepherd has been heavily influenced in the kennel clubs. And so you'll see the slope backs. And basically what that means is their hips are destroyed. If their backs are sloping down, the, those dogs' back legs don't work properly. And so I, I've had dogs that can't even jump up onto like a 24-inch wall because their back legs just don't function properly to do that. And so all of our German Shepherds have straight backs and square hips on the back. And so that's one important thing is, so you want to make sure that the breed you're interested in actually does the thing you want it to do. And then you want to make sure that you're getting a good, healthy line in that breed. And then when it comes to the protection side of things, my recommendation is every, there's, whenever you come to self-protection, right? There People have different opinions on different firearms that they use and how to use them. They have different opinions on different hand-to-hand fighting techniques. You know, Some people like uh, Sistema and other people like Krav Maga and other people like the MMA type style of fighting. And so everybody's got their kind of preferences. Well, one of the things we do that's very countercultural to the, the dog training world is our dogs don't bite and hold. And the police train their dogs to bite and hold. And the reason that that became popular Is because police departments were being sued very, very frequently for um, excessive use of force when they would deploy a dog and it would bite somebody and they would try to hit it and it would switch and bite them on the other arm. And then they'd have injuries all over their body from the dog retargeting and biting them multiple different places. And then they would, you know, they'd show pictures of this dude all tore up in the hospital to a jury and they'd say, oh, yeah, that was definitely excessive and then the person would win the lawsuit and the police department would have to pay lots of money. So they started training their dogs to bite one spot, to not pull back, but to drive into the bite. And and so what happens is it creates a lot of pain when you do that, especially if you hit a major muscle group, which is why bicep and tricep bites are more popular nowadays than forearms, because larger muscles have more pain when they get compressed by a dog's jaws, right? Well, what we train our dogs to do is to bite they thrash, so they pull back. So they, they take their canines, they insert their canines into you and then they thrash and jerk and yank back. And so they tear yeah. the muscle and then they re-engage either on the same arm or if you try to strike them with the other arm, they'll re-engage on the other arm and they'll do the same thing. And they'll just do that until either the person stops fighting or their handler calls them off. And so there's pros and cons to that, right? The, the con is there is more damage, but I look at personal protection, family protection this way. If you're being attacked, the person that's attacking you is a predator in the bad sense of the word, right? Because dogs are predators too. So just because something's a predator doesn't necessarily equal bad. But if a human is preying on other humans, we, we view that negatively. We say that's a bad person, right? If that person is attacking you and your family, the fastest way to end that threat is with maximum violence that I can end immediately as soon as the threat is over. And so we want our dogs to bring the maximum amount of violence but also be under control so that as soon as we, the person stops fighting, we go out, let's go. Our dog's release and run back to us. And so they end the threat quickly. They stop causing damage the minute the person stops being a threat. And then if I need to, if that person becomes a threat after I call the dog off, I can just resend the dog right back in. The other benefit to it is a lot of people think because I carry a gun, I can defend myself and not even getting into the skill set of actually knowing how to use a firearm there's the concept of will you actually pull the trigger when you need to and that's a very big decision to make right and and the vast majority of people if they haven't spent a lot of time really training their subconscious that these are my trigger points if this happens i pull the trigger like and that way it becomes subconscious you don't even have to think about it if you're trying if you're in a situation where you might have to use your firearm and you're having to think Am I gonna use this? Am I justified? Is this a good idea? The chances of you actually pulling that trigger before the the threat is on you is really low. And if you do pull the trigger, you know, a lot of especially guys, right? We have this bravado that, oh, I'd kill that son of a bitch, like if he tried to hurt my family, blah, blah, blah. But they've never taken a living, breathing human being and turned them into a dead lump of flesh. And and that's something that most people can't really wrap their minds around. And so and it changes you forever. Like, I'm not saying there isn't a time and a place for it. There definitely is. But you're not the same person afterwards as you were before. And so there's it's a big jump to go from. I've never killed a person to I'm defending myself and I killed a person. And there's a there's certainly a time and a place for it. But it's if you can have something that fills the gap, that to me is really important. And I often use the analogy of, you know, police officers are on the street and they're wearing their bat belt. Right. So they've got all these different options for if the person goes to this level of resistance i can use this level of force and if they go to this level i can come up one level above that so i can use my verbals and then you know maybe i can use pressure compliance and and pain points and then if that doesn't work i can pull my pepper spray or my taser out and then i have a baton and then i might get to my firearm if the, the threat level gets there but for most average citizens if you're carrying a pistol you basically have i can talk to this person or i can shoot them and there's all all this gray space in between that you don't carry the tools typically to deal with right you don't you know most people don't have all the same things that a police officer carries with them to deal with somebody who's you know being threatening towards them so when you have a dog with you all of a sudden we have all these extra tools that we can fill that gap with so if somebody's being threatening i can put my dog on what we call watch which is i'm holding on to the lead but I tell my dog to watch and they'll lunge toward the person to show aggression. And I can tell the person, stay back or you're going to get bit. Do you understand me? Don't come any closer. If they keep walking into that dog in the fight after the fight, the legal fight, when it's all said and done, right in the fight, after the fight, I can articulate, I explained to this person that they were not to come any closer to me. Here's all my reasons why I thought they were a threat. And then I put my dog on watch and I showed aggression and then they walked into my dog in a obviously threatening manner to me and my dog bit them. And so now I have something that I can fill that gap with. I can also, if the person draws a weapon from a distance, I can just release the lead and the dog can run towards them and engage. And then if the person still wants to fight once the dog is engaging, I can draw a weapon and then I can either decide, do I have a three-year-old child with me? You know, because again, us guys are like, I'm going into the fight with my dog, man. I'm taking that guy down and blah, blah, blah. Well, if I'm by myself, yeah, I'm probably going to do that. If it's me and my wife, probably still going to do that. If it's me and my three-year-old child. Hmm. Maybe that's not the best idea. Maybe I need to get me and the little kid out of there, get them in a car and then call my dog off from a distance and get to someplace safe. And then I can call the cops and I can deal with the situation now that everybody's in a safe environment. So having the the capability of adding all those other variables into your defensive plan is really where the dogs bring the value to, to people. And then on top of that, their reflexes are about 100 times faster than ours. So if somebody surprise attacks you uh, in a parking lot or, you know, from a, an alley in a city or if you're you know a female running on a trail at, at night or early in the morning and somebody tries to attack you, your dog's reflexes are way faster than yours. When we do what we call surprise attack on handler drills, the dogs are engaging most of the time before the person even realized I was running up on them to attack them.
0: That's incredible. Um, yeah, it's a lot of I want fun. to take a quick second. We got we got some questions that are stacking up for you. And normally we wait and save these for like later, but I want to get to them earlier so we can answer some of these because some of these are really cool questions. And having an expert like this in-house um, is, is good, and I want to make sure everybody can get their questions answered. Um, cool. So we're going to run a quick little promo, and then we're going to be back in just a minute, y'all.
1: Wake up, America. Don't be woke. Haven't had enough yet? Stick around for the after show. Bolder, grittier, angrier. On the Rocks with Angry American and the Gang is coming up next.
2: Hey folks, this is T, and this is Mountain Readiness.
1: It doesn't matter what the event is that that makes this
2: thing go pop. It's uh it's gonna be water, shelter, fire, food, security. That's it. That's what you need in a nutshell.
3: I know we still have the fallout thing on
0: there, but we're gonna get a new one going here pretty quick for that. But guys remember fall or uh, Mountain Readiness is coming the first weekend in May up in Harmony, North Carolina.
2: Weekend. First right. weekend, gonna be awesome.
3: Yep, and you're going to be there, Joel,
0: right? You're going to have some
2: dogs.
3: Out, I too? am. Yep, I'm very excited about it.
2: That's awesome. So before well, you answer, said, I... before you, before you ask those questions, let's just throw yeah. that out. What we were talking about. What we were oh, talking about, yeah, Chris. Let's go ahead. I mean, we that might out. as well do it. So, so <laughs> folks, you know that Chris, you know, on a certain <laughs> television show, and you know, big dogs and 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 stuff like that is not his friend, but. We said, what if we, um, what, if we uh, what if we did this as, as like um, proceeds going to Caleb House for a charity, and if we reach a certain number, Chris puts on the bite suit. And yes, we are going to have some waivers available to throw the bite suit on. I'm going to throw one. I'm going to sign one of those myself and uh, get some of that action to, to just because, just because I'm stupid, but um what do you think guys what what's the number what is the number that we should we we need to hit to get chris in a bike suit that's should we question, go big
0: five thousand dollars I, I was going to say i think something like five and it's not going to be just one joe will release two dogs on me at the same
3: time two we'll dogs. Have three dogs with us and oh. we we'll pick two of them and do a multi-dog deployment <laughs> yeah. Not, not
0: I,
1: was say, I was gonna say I was gonna say I was gonna say twelve dollars.
2: <laughs> twelve dollars. <laughs> twelve dollars. You know that right now. Call it done. Get the get those waivers. Get those waivers ready. I got that covered. So,
1: about yeah, two, yeah. One. Well, I will warn you Chris, I will warn you. I will warn you. I was I would Come back from leave, or come back from emergency leave in Baghdad, and I dressed up like in my Haji faj and everything. And the 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 Malwall we had uh, the, uh, it was Rex. Rex was a good dog, very 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 trustworthy dog. And they wanted to do some off leash work with him, so I went upstairs in the uh, the little shoot house we had, and I said, and, and I Rex had already given some people some stitches, so I'm just like, okay, make sure he's muzzled up. Well, Rex came up there and I had a little bamboo baton and I was dressed up and I started hitting Rex and I'm like, ha ha ha, you got that, you got that, 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 uh, you know, you got that muzzle on, you can't bite me, you can't bite me. And Rex backed up and he realized he had the muzzle on he got in between my legs and raised his head so fast oh, that yeah. my balls hit my chin. <laughs> it was rolling <laughs> down <laughs> the stairs. I, 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 oh. Yeah, when yeah. we do muzzle
3: it work with our Oh, yes, they are. So when they realize they can use those muzzles as a weapon, they will definitely use them as a weapon. So an agitation muzzle actually has a a piece of steel that comes down the top of their snout and then down the front and then underneath a little bit. And and as soon as they realize they can rear their head back and hit you with it, they will start punching you with the muzzle. And uh, But the muzzles let you do things that you can't do in a normal bite suit, right? So in a normal bite suit, especially with our dogs, if you fall on the ground, they will go for your face and neck. And so one of the rules in the bite suit is you stay on your feet. And uh, now if, if people go to ground, we just immediately call the dogs off. Out, let's go, let's go. And we call them back so that the person doesn't get bit, right? But when we put the dogs in muzzles, then you can take all the, the equipment off so you're not wearing a bite suit anymore. And the dog is the one wearing the protection, but they'll come in. And so what we'll do is we'll fall on the ground and then we can kick at them. And, and sometimes we'll try and grab their collars and we'll show them your collars can be used against you. We'll grab their collars and fling them into a, a obstacle or something like that. And, and pretty soon they're like, okay, I'm not going to let you touch my collars anymore. But when you fall to the ground, especially when you're doing multiple dogs, they'll try and flank around behind you. And thankfully I've never been knocked out by them. but we've had guys get knocked out from hits to the back of the head with a muzzle. And,
2: uh, damn, and around behind
3: him in the back damn. of your head, pass out.
2: With these multiple dogs, with these because I got Mister Mister Pete Robert Tucci here. He he's he's game two. I figure if we can get Pete, Chris, and Franklin Horton, we can get all the book writers. Can we get like a multiple uh, target engagement with these dogs? Can we just have all three of them out there and nail them all three at once, or what? We can play around with something. Now we do. So not all of our
3: dogs get this, but we do multiple attacker drills with our more advanced dogs. And uh, Ah. it's typically two people and it's typically focused on the handler uh, specifically. So the idea is, um, you know, if there's several guys that are trying to target a specific person, say in a parking lot or something like that, and one person engages while the others kind of hang back and then the handler feels the need. They need to deploy their dog on this bad guy. And then from, Behind them or, or from some other direction, somebody runs up and attacks the handler while their dog is over defending them against another person. The dog needs to recall off that person and come back and engage the person that's attacking their handler. And then when that happens in the bite suits, we disengage and the person that they were engaging the first time comes up and engages the handler. We kind of go back and forth. Well, I'm, my hands are too low. So if the handler's here, we'll come up and attack the handler. And then the dog engages this person. They back off. And then this person attacks the handler. And then we go back and forth. On the handler, so that the dog becomes aware of watch your handler because if he needs your help, you disengage from whatever you're doing over here and come and help him. And, um, so we could play around with that a little bit. It does it definitely can get chaotic, and those are some yeah. of the most dangerous drills you run. Because that's exactly wrong,
2: what we're looking for. Them, Joel. Worse. I mean that, uh, that what, I mean the, you you said the key words as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> chaotic, that, dangerous. I mean, that sounds like a plan. Hey, we've got insurance. Yeah. All right, we're good. It, this make shit sure they sounds cover that kind of
0: sounds. Uh, yeah, make sure they cover that. Uh, <laughs> And, and let's not get carried away with like that's exactly what we want. I'm not looking for
3: canine chaos here. I'm <laughs> not. So we'll keep it as safe as we can keep it with two dogs.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep yeah,
2: it with two dogs, keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. That's a definite I, I will I'll, say, I'll a
3: bear. If my uh, if my German Shepherd female is okay. uh is not being bred at the time, um her, we call her Maeve. And my male Malinois Punisher, so far, those two dogs have taken down every person that they've deployed on, if it was that person's first multiple dog deployment. So I tell people, stay on your feet. And so far, they've taken three of my trainers down when I do their very first double dog deployment. Because the, the way that you're getting pulled on and torqued and that kind of stuff when you have multiple dogs is it's it's very difficult to keep your feet underneath you, especially wearing bite pants, which are kind of bulky to begin with. Yeah. And, um, but I've never had, even though the closest I've had was this was my, my trainer's head. And he went to the ground and Punisher was like right here. And I went out, leave it alone. And he like paused for a second. You can see his look on his face. was kind of like, but I really want to. And then he (laughs) kind of moved his mouth off and was like, all right, fine. I won't bite him. But I um, that was the yeah, you know, yeah. on uh, on taking somebody to ground. That's yep. too. In funny. fact, that was yeah, the, yes. pair, that's the only pair that's ever taken me off my feet in bite work. So the only time I've ever been knocked off my feet in bite work was with that pair of dogs, and uh, and Punisher hit me first and knocked me just a little bit off balance, and then Maeve was like ten paces behind him, and before I could get my legs back under me, she hit me when I was just a little off balance, and I hit the ground. And I thought to myself, damn it, I'm getting bit in the head today. And then I was like, well, I haven't been bit yet. I should probably get up. And I jumped up on my feet and turned around and they were both coming right back in. And it seemed like I was on the ground for about 15 seconds, but I'm sure I hit the ground and bounced right back up. It's just everything slows <laughs> down in the situation. Yeah, I, it does
0: uh, tend to slow down in those moments. Uh, I do want to get some of these questions, though, because uh, some of these are, you know, these are straight for you and, and you can help folks out. And so. Like right, the first one from Sean saying, is there a way to correct a dog after a dog long after an unwanted action, or does it need to be corrected correction in the moment of the act?
3: It definitely needs to be soon enough after the event happened that the dog knows that they did the thing. So if you come home from work and your dog pooped in the house, they don't connect that they pooped in the house the vast majority of the time. There's a few exceptions to this. But the vast majority of the time, they don't realize they did something wrong. And if you walk in and start yelling at them, they don't know why. Right. Now, it doesn't have to be instantaneous, though, either. So, for instance, if a dog um, and and our young pups will do this sometimes, if they uh, growl at their handler, you know, and they're, they're tethered to a table. So I can't really give them a good correction. I can unclip the lead from the table. Excuse me and then give them a good correction for showing aggression when they were not supposed to. So it can be, you know, within a, you know, say five to 10 seconds of the event happening. Uh, When we do stability with our dogs and we're doing the higher level of stability where I'm really putting pressure on the dogs, but they're not allowed to bite. Sometimes the handlers feel like they have to correct the dog instantly. Right. And so they'll see me flinch toward the dog and they'll correct their dog, even though their dog didn't do anything right? Because they're reacting to my movements, not the dog's actions. So I tell them, calm down. This is a safe place for your dog to fail. We expect your dog to fail a couple times here. That's why we have the lead and we're going to correct when they fail. And you can go in your mind, you can go, hey, you're not supposed to do that. Correction, right? And so the dog can lunge out and bite and then you can register. My dog did something they're not supposed to. Then you can correct them and they definitely understand that. Right. So it's just the if you're convinced in your mind that the dog understands what they did and why they're being corrected, then you can correct them. But if it's been several minutes, your dogs are very much in the moment. Right. And so there, there's two really important things when you correct the dog. Number one is you want to make sure the dog understands why they're being corrected. And then number two is once you've corrected your dog and they're now doing what you want them to do again, you have to let all that go. If you stay mad and frustrated with your dog, then they're not getting the positive reinforcement on the other side because they're like, well, I thought this is what you wanted me to do, but you're still mad at me. And so maybe this isn't what you want me to do. And uh, so when it's an aggression issue, I will often tell people, especially if they're not very experienced in dealing with aggression, is correct the dog until you feel better because then you can actually let it go because the dog tries to bite you, especially if it's a full size, you know, say a 65 pound dog or more, and it tries to bite you, you get pretty ramped up and, and you get the adrenaline going and everything else. And then, you know, the dog says, okay, okay, sorry. You know, I, I didn't, I, I learned my lesson. I'm not going to do it again. And then you're like, blah, 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 still at the dog. And what has to happen is there's the correction there's the chastising, fooey that knock it off. Don't you ever put your teeth on me. And then you put them on the ground and you go, God, leave it. That a boy. That's all you had to do, buddy. Just relax. And you have to let it all go. And you cannot hold on to that frustration. And that goes for any correction that you give the dog. That just kind of on the extreme side, is if there's aggression, especially toward the handler. And um, so if you start to get frustrated, just calmly put the dog away give them 15 20 minutes so you can calm down and get yourself under control and then come back and start working with the dog again. But don't try and teach your dog things when you're already frustrated. Good.
0: That's a good, good
1: advice. I mean, I don't know. I was the same good, way. I, I came to this dog team, this dog program. I didn't, I didn't know anything about dogs, but, uh, The first mistake I met, the dogs were from a very great, you know, prestigious kennel, you've probably heard of them, the Von Lick Kennels out of Indiana, they were great dogs, but uh, as soon as the the handlers went up to Indiana, picked up their dogs, worked for a few weeks with them, then brought them back, and we were at Fort Carson, they were being rewarded with tennis balls. And right. I was like, well, whose idea was that? Well, this is what this is what we did. This is what I said, stop the tennis balls. Stop the tennis mm-hmm. balls right now. No, no, no. This is why we were trained. So I went to a pawn shop and bought some of the old training grenades. And I said, here's why we're not doing tennis balls. Who whose yep. dog wants to be an example? And I threw the tennis ball through, you know, I threw the grenade through the door and yep. the dog brought About the grenade back. I said, That's yep. why we don't do tennis balls.
3: Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. We, so
1: <laughs> it looks too that's much. another thing. The grenade looks the too much like a tennis ball. Yeah. Absolutely.
3: <laughs> yeah. Look, there, there's a couple reasons we don't use toys or treats and, and even with our puppies, we never use toys and treats in our training. All of our training is based around building a bond with the dog and then giving them verbal praise. And so, and when they're young, we'll pet them a bit too, but um, we kind of back off of the petting as we go. I say, if you have time and opportunity, to pet the dog that's fine there's nothing wrong with petting them but you don't want them to always be like okay i did it and bumping your hand and like give me my pets now and um but is number one especially when you think of it from a military perspective is are you going to carry that with you in combat and and worry about trying to give that dog that reward when you're under stress and you've got threats every which way and you're trying to deal with the environment and and you're worried about giving your dog this treat reward or this toy reward and um and so our thing is when i so when i give my dogs a command say i tell them to sit and we say seats and they sit and i say good seats that's it that's their reward and they know i'm doing what my handler wanted and then you know assuming time and opportunity i'll, I'll give them a little pet on the head and tell them good seats attaboy. boy and then we'll go do whatever the next thing is right and they know when they when they're told that they're doing a good job it's good and whatever the command is then they know, yeah, I'm, I'm doing what my person wants me to do. And really that's all these breeds want is they want to know what you want them to do. And then they want to know that you're happy with them when they're doing it. And if you can do that, then your dogs will do almost anything for you.
1: Wow.
0: But here's one going strict right to protection training. So, so Matt and Kelly are asking, my understanding is puppy training up to a year old, then start training for protection, your recommendation. Our Dutch Shepherd is eight months, is now eight months, would like to start protection training.
3: Yeah, so depending on the dog, sometimes they'll come in faster if you do wait till they're a little bit older. Uh, we typically start our puppies in, in bite training when they're about 12 weeks old. And um, But it's very, very low stress, right? So I look at teaching a dog to bite because number one, we're not doing the bite and hold technique either, right? We're teaching our dogs to reverse and essentially counter the threat. So if the threat does something, we want the dogs to recognize something's being done and then counter it in some way. Now we usually let our dogs kind of figure that out on their own. So if whatever they decide to do is effective, then we reward them by you know letting them kind of win the fight. And if what they're doing is has a weakness to it, then we show them that weakness, you know, maybe with a training knife, maybe we'll jab them in the ribs with a training knife, right. And show them, uh uh like you better do something about this right here because this thing can hurt you. And so we'll poke them in the ribs so that they feel a little bit of pain, but they they go, oh, okay. And then when they bite that hand, I drop their training knife and they don't get poked again by it, right? With our puppies, I look at it like training an eight-year-old to, to start boxing or to start doing any kind of martial art, right? I don't walk up to my eight-year-old or somebody else's eight-year-old and I go, all right, kid, you ready to learn? Here we go and whack them in the face- and knock him on the ground and be like get up weakling you know that's very counterproductive in teaching a young child to start in the to the martial arts environment so what you do is you say here's a pad punch it okay You need to do this with your wrist see when your wrist is is weak it hurts when you punch that right so if you hold your hand this way you can punch the pad and it doesn't hurt okay good job and they practice punching and then they practice kicking and then they practice whatever the things are before you ever get to sparring and even when you start sparring it's light little taps right i go boop on the head and to the kid it's like whoa like you just hit me in the face and it's like yeah that's gonna happen sometimes and it's gonna be a lot harder in real life but we're gonna start gentle and work our way up so with the puppies what we do is it's if they show any aggression at all, whether that's just barking, whether it's flaring their lips, whether it's kind of bouncing forward towards you, like, you know, they're, they're coming in, in your direction, and not backing away, we reward them by winning in some way. And so they might lunge toward me a little bit and then I jump back like, oh, and then they're like, oh, look at that. Like that big guy is scared of me when I lunge forward like that and, it, and their confidence builds up. And then we just slowly build that over months. Until the dogs will come in and, and just fully engage. And then the more they engage, the more I t- kind of take the next step and I go, okay, it's going to take a little bit more this time for you to win this fight. And, um, and then, you know, if they, if they take a little step back, we take a little step back. When we start deploying the dogs away from their handlers, then, you know, they're, they're having more confidence when their handler is right behind them and they can feel the tension in the lead and they know right where their person is. Then you drop the lead and the dog has to leave their handler and go fight. All of a sudden they're like, whoa, I'm out here all by myself now like this is a lot more stressful out here. So we'll start close to the handler and then we'll build up distance as we go and as the dog's confidence builds up. So we start them pretty young, but I will say like when I when I get a year old dog that wants to do bite work training, they typically come in like the first or second agitation, whereas a puppy does tend to come in a little bit slower.
0: Hmm, interesting. It's crazy the science behind it to me. And and you're right, it all sounds so simple. and makes so much sense, but I've never been able to teach a dog to do a damn thing. Matthew King says, uh, "I have a husky and have issues with leash walking. Do you have any suggestions on training? That's one that I know everybody deals with at some point." Yeah,
3: so I'm not a fan of quote unquote (laughs) taking your dog for a walk to use the bathroom. Meaning, I put a lead on my dog, and my dog pulls me down the sidewalk looking for a place to go to the bathroom. When we do um, our handler training for the people that are getting our dogs, we teach them have a place you want your dog to go to the bathroom. And that's typically like a corner of the yard or something like that. Right. And before you go on a walk, you take your dog to that spot and we use get busy. So we'll tell our dogs, get busy. And then they go to the bathroom. We say, good, get busy. Get more busy. Let's go poop. And then they go poop. And then we go, all right, foos, that's walk at my side. Some people will use the command heel. And then we go for our walk. And my dog is at my side, not out pulling me down the sidewalk. Right. So there's, it's a, it's much more difficult to get a dog to understand, hey, you can pull me, but just not too hard versus walk beside me and I don't want to feel any tension in the leash. And if you teach your dog to walk with you, then they're not pulling you. Now, I don't know where this misconception came from, but I see it all the time when we go out in public now is people will think, oh, I'll put a harness on my dog and then it'll be easier to walk with my dog that way and i'm like you realize why harnesses were created right they were created so the dog can pull into them and there's not the mm. pressure on their neck so i don't know distribute why that. you distribute the force yeah down. yeah yes it spreads the pressure out right across their chest yeah. and things like that and um so we use prong collars and uh and i've trained everything from little mini dachshunds to you know quick cane corsos with prong collars and the thing I like about the prong collar is I connect the lead to it and I can use it like stirrups or like reins on a horse. And I can literally get to the point where I can just gently guide with my hand and the dog just follows the lead where I where I guide them. Or if they do something really naughty, I can correct them very, very hard with it and everything in between just by the way I manage the lead. And so if you're doing something like an e-collar or something like that, the it takes a lot of of training yourself to be able to dial that up and down and get your timing right with it and everything else. So I have my dogs on a prong collar. I tell them foos, which is walk at my side. If they get ahead of me, I give them a bump backwards. If they move out to the side, I give them a bump toward me. If they slow down and they're like sniffing something and they're not keeping up with me, I give them a bump forward when they're where I want them. I tell them good foos. When they're like ahead of me, I tell them easy. That means slow down. If they get behind me i say, let's go come on keep up and i'll give them little bumps with the lead they get out to my side i'm like hey stay with me and i'll give them a bump toward me and when they're walking where i want them i say good foos and it doesn't take very long before they're like oh got it like if i stay in this little space right here in relation to you you don't correct me and in fact you touch me on my head sometimes you tell me i'm doing a good job yeah yeah i like walking here but to try and get a dog to pull lightly um, even when they, they kind of get it, they'll still get excited about things and then pull in. And especially if you have a flat collar, which is just, you know, a normal collar on a dog uh, or a harness, they, they sense zero correction. Even if you like pull on it, they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't care. And especially you're more hard headed dogs. Right. And so if you put them on a prong collar and then it's not tension and pull, it's, Relax the lead, like like your dad used to take a belt and loosen it up and snap it, right? If it's already tight and you're pulling, there's no snap. It's just tension. If You have to relax it first and then snap it to get the pop. It's the same thing on a prong collar. Because dogs, once they get used to a prong collar, will still pull into it. And once the tension's already there, even if you pull them back, they, they get the pressure of the tips of the prongs. And they're not sharp, by the way. They're rounded and smooth if you get the Herm Springer brand that we recommend and not the cheap China crap. And so they're they're smooth and rounded, but they're also called pinch collars because if you get the slack in the lead and then you pop it, it pinches. And you know what else does that? A mom does that with her puppies. When a mo- mother is with her pups and they do something she doesn't like, she goes, bam, and tags them on the neck. And they go, arp! And then they, they learn, don't do that again. Mom wasn't happy about that. So they understand a pinch to the neck means I'm unhappy with what you just did. And so you want a pop, not a pull. And then we always say we use the lightest correction needed to get the desired result. But the desired result is obedience. The first time I tell you, right. And I'd say every dog gets to pick their own correction. If I go, bump real light and you do what I say, that's your correction. And I'll correct you that way as long as you'll respond to it. If I go bump and you're like, whatever, dude, I'm still going to do this thing. Then I'm like, well, then you're getting to pick a harder correction because that's the only thing that dog will respond to. But each dog is to pick their correction. And it's about what does the dog respond to and then not letting them pull on the lead. And if you've already been getting pulled by your dog a lot, you're going to be very aware of it because you won't even realize it because that's natural for you. And so you have to pay attention. If there's tension in your lead, that means something's wrong. And and you need to correct
2: the dog when they do that.
1: Hmm.
3: That's interesting. That's something
0: I never could get my dogs to do, is not pull against the leash.
2: Yeah. I'm gonna run it. I'm gonna run the same thing by Amber again. Be like, look, you pick your correction. That's you right. Pick I go to my life all the time. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you, you don't make her cover her head no more, and you went to open hand. You're not using closed hand no more, so yeah. you're making progress.
2: Right. Now, leaps and bounds. <laughs> so, yep. well, so, I, can, so I don't think Amber's home to tonight. Or, he, he
1: would have been slapped in the back yeah, of the head a little bit.
2: She's in bed. Yeah. She, she's in bed. <laughs> she went to <in> yeah. bed.
0: <laughs> Amber is obviously not paying attention to this. And Amber, I was only like kidding about open no, yeah, hand things. I know I'm going to see you in May, so... <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Joel Pete's asking, do you recommend a verbal correction or contact? I'm going to guess you go with contact because what we just talked about, but.
3: I do, but we don't use our hands. So we don't smack the dog on the snout or the head. Um, now if I don't have any other choice, I might, uh, usually what I do if I don't, like, let's say, you know, I had my dog off lead and they did something boneheaded. What I'll normally do is I'll kind of hold my hand with my knuckle out and I'll kind of pop them on the, on the tip of the snout with my knuckle. And, uh, and that's usually not too hard. It's just like a hey, bonehead, knock that off. Like that's not acceptable. But, um, we, so what we want to do is we want to couple verbal correction with the physical correction. So our verbal correction word is fooey. That's German for like shame on you. And so we'll say like fooey it or fooey that, and we do it with a pop on the prong collar. So I'm um, the, the reason we don't smack our dogs, if at all possible, unless you just didn't have a lead, which if your dog still needs a, a moderate amount of correction in their obedience level, then you should always have a lead on your dog. That's our opinion. And uh, if you don't, then you'll just get whatever level of consistency you apply to the correction. Okay. You'll get that level of discipline, right? You do it 50% of the time, your dog will be 50% obedient. And, um, <laughs> but we, uh, so we, we, you know, have the lead in our hand and if they do something, they're not supposed to, it's fooey that with a pop. And then, uh, and we also use one direction. One correction is the phrase that we use. That's what my mentor taught me. And that means I'm going to say the command one time. And if you don't do it, there's going to be a correction. If you do it, there'll be a praise. So I don't go seats, seats, come on, seats, seats. Come on, come on, seats for me, seats, seats. No, I go seats. And if they don't seats, I go fooey, seats. And then when they said, I go good seats. And so it's one time. You say the command, if they don't do it, then there's a correction. And it's like the parents, hopefully you guys didn't raise your kids this way. I don't mean to offend anybody, but the parents who go one, (laughs) two, right? And I'm like, oh great. You taught your kid to wait till whatever your number is and then do it right Mm -hmm. before that if they don't want to get in trouble. I tell my kids one time and if they hesitate, I just look at them and say, no, I don't say it twice, right? And that's their yeah. one opportunity to do it, and then there's an there's a consequence, and um and so I just treat the dogs. Father, the same my father counted.
2: My father was a counter. He was like one, two, three, count. That was <laughs> that right. was his counting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got I, I with my kids.
0: I would I would ask them to do something once, and then I would tell them to do something once. There wasn't a third option. There was yeah. those were the that was it. I asked them, and then I told them, you know. And if that didn't work, then we we ratcheted things up. Never had yeah, to though. We had an issue. They're oh. all still scared to death of me. Um, when, when I
3: ask my kids, and then they don't do it, I go, "You realize it's not an option, right?" I was just being polite. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, sorry, okay."
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I tell. I tell them. I, 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 I'm like, I asked you once. Now I'm telling you, and that's yeah. all I have to say. And then that they knew.
2: They're like, okay, here's, an, "Here's
0: an interesting one." With, with Scout Dog Survival, he says, I have a young pit that likes to jump on you and bite you lightly, but he still penetrates the skin. How can I get him to
3: stop? So I look at those as two individual things. There's the jumping and then there's the, we call it mouthiness. And so I use a prong collar and if the dog is jumping up on me, I use my knee and I, I start off fairly light, but I knee them off of me hard enough that it pushes them back and onto the ground. If they jump up a second time, I'll knee them hard enough that they fall on their back. And by the third time I'm like going almost for like, you know, a clenched knee to the face. Only I don't clinch the dog. I just, but I'm like full on knee to the abdomen or chest, like get off of me, knock that shit off, quit jumping up on me. If I'm handling a dog and it wants to jump on somebody else, when it goes to jump up, I pop it, and I tell it, fooey that, off. Now, when my dogs will do this the most is like either on a tie-out or in a kennel run because they're all excited, right? I'm coming in, and they're all excited, and they're, they're jumping up, and they're like, woo, you're here, yay, we're going to do something. And um, <laughs> so before I go into that space, I tell them, off. And then if they jump on me at that point, then I either knee them, or if they have a lead on, I'll pop the lead and tell them, fooey it, off. So – I use the, the prong and, or just the, the consequence of if you jump on me, I'm going to push you off of me. And then once they stay off and they keep all four feet on the ground, I give them lots of petting. So I'm like, Oh, good off that a boy. Yeah. And if they start getting excited and jumping up, I stop before it off. And then they put their paws on the ground again. Good off. And so you don't want to praise so much that you, you amp them up and they can't contain themselves, but you give them as much praise as you can. Where they can still control themselves and then with the mouthiness thing there's a couple of ways you can do it um one of the ways you get you want to introduce the word out so out for us and you can use a different command if you want to but out for us means don't put your mouth on that or if you already have something in your mouth let it go right so if they're biting a person we'll say out and they let go of the person and come back to us if they have a ball in their mouth and i want the ball i put my hands on the ball and i say out and they let go of it right but it also means don't play with me with your mouth. And so, what we'll usually do, and we typically start this with pups, but you can do it with other dogs too, is find a toy that they like. And if they like to tug on a toy, um, I play with the toy and I say, Oh, you want it? You want it? Get it? Get it? And they bite a hold of it and I go, Good, get it. And I'll tug with them for a couple seconds. And then I stop moving because this is important. Don't keep moving because that amps them up to keep tugging and playing, right? So, I stop moving and then I have the lead in my hand and I say, out. And if they don't let go, I go, free it out. It might take two or three corrections. And then as soon as they let it go, I go, Good out. At a boy, good out. And I'm petting them while I'm saying it. And then I'll wait a minute or so, maybe 30 seconds. And then I'll start playing with them again. Get them to bite it. Tug, tug, tug. Stop moving. Out. About three or four rotations of that, as soon as you say out, they go, I really like it when you pet me. They let go of it and you praise them. Once they understand what out means, then if they put their teeth, their mouth on me, I stop moving. So don't pull, don't tug, don't move around, just freeze and go free it out. And then as soon as they let go, good out at a boy. And then one other thing to keep in mind is dogs at a certain age do have a legitimate need to chew things. So either they're teething or it's just, but it's their natural thing. They, they want to chew on stuff and they have this natural desire to do it. So, Make sure they have something that they're allowed to chew on that's safe for them to chew on, so that the things that they're not supposed to chew on, you can correct them when they chew on those things.
0: Cool. Yeah, you could run a master class in dog training, and I know you yeah, have got videos money. and stuff too, don't you?
3: We do. We have Canine Academy. That's at K9 Academy.us, and we walk you through kind of the the basic training uh, that we do on all of our dogs from uh, it, introducing a puppy. To the commands, to offlead obedience. That's cool. And
0: just uh, for the record, I'm going to put this up because Pete said it. T he'll suit up.
2: Oh yeah, no, it's a done deal. Tooch is getting him some too. He's, uh, he's, I, definitely, I'll I'll him, he's, he's definitely getting him
3: some and pants, as well as some sleeves, <laughs> uh, just in case we have. Yeah. So my my bite suits are are mostly fitted to me. So if you're too much bigger than me. I'll have one jacket that's one size up and then I'll bring some sleeves so just in case we uh we can't do a full suit, we'll hold the dogs on lead and let people take bites on the uh, on the sleeves that you can put on. That way we will have the uh, ability to accommodate different body sizes.
0: <laughs> that's a very polite way of putting it. For you fat fuckers yeah, out thanks, there? Thanks Joe. Thanks I thanks one Joe. Really
3: big. And I'm like I'm sorry, I'm not that big. I'm 5'9" and 180, so I'm you a, know. Kind of a small nah. dog. That's why I like dogs. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so here, here's one more. And Will's
0: asking, "How are your dogs around other dogs that are not trained?" That's an interesting one because you start thinking of protection yeah. dogs and you know how they can going to interact with others. So,
3: yeah, it, it depends. So there's there's a huge variety of the in the category of dogs that are not trained, right? So there's little yippy dogs. And we have a lot of clients who get our dogs that have little yippie dogs. And I tell them the because the, you know they ask the question, well, how's the dog gonna be with my my little dogs and you know, whatever the breed is? Right. And I say, the only thing you have to require your little dog to do is to be polite. So if they're nipping your big dog's ears, they're they're biting their their lips and pulling on them, or or they're just constantly all up in their face, then your big dog is gonna get tired of it and they're gonna do something. You you know, usually it's <laughs> Get off me. But, you know, you still don't even want that necessarily because a big dog going rart at a little little dog, if it's really small, can still hurt it. And so your little dogs have to be polite enough that, you know, they're not going to make the dog defend itself essentially. Right. Because it's unfair to expect a dog, you know, a 65, 70 pound Malinois to lay there and let this little dog chew all over it. And so we um, we say, that's the first thing. Now, there's a bunch of different ways you can introduce little dogs to big dogs. Um, but our dogs, like we expose all of our dogs to our puppies. One of the benefits of breeding is we have puppies, you know, multiple times a year. And we let all of our big dogs be exposed to like a little pack of Malinois or Dutch Shepherds or whatever the litter is. And for about 15 to 20 seconds, we'll let the puppies out. And of course, when they get let out, they're like, woo! kill stuff yeah and uh and if there's a dog out they're like woo go interact with that big dog and so they'll be jumping on them nipping them and all this kind of stuff and uh we tell the big dog leave it alone and then about 10 15 seconds in we put them like up on a table or something where the little pups can't get them and then um on our dogs that are on tie outs they'll run into the tie out dogs and they'll interact with all the dogs on the tie out every one of our adult dogs is good with our puppies if we have a dog that is uh, mistreats puppies, that dog doesn't stick around very long. It gets put down. Um, it's totally unacceptable. Yeah. And the only dogs I've ever had that have had that problem are dogs that we didn't raise from puppies. So all of the dogs that we've bred and and raised on ground here are good with our puppies, and and so they're they're also good with the little dogs. Now, when it comes to an untrained like big dog, you have you know kind of two primary categories. You have friendly, but you know rambunctious or untrained and then you have aggressive it's your job as the handler to control the space that you have around you really it's it's every person's job to control their space around them right now we can control our space around us by dictating to the people that are within our space what we want them to do but depending on the environment they may not have to listen to us right so another way that i can control my space is i can take my space and i can move it somewhere else And so if I am going to a place like Pet Stupid, most people call that place Pet Smart, but I call it Pet Stupid. If I'm going there with my dog and there's a bunch of stupid people there with their dogs and I look up and there's some tiny little woman being dragged by a 90 pound dog across the parking lot, I'm not going near that dog because that woman doesn't have any control over that dog. Now I have found a very effective way of helping small or weak people control big dogs, and that's give them an adrenaline boost. And you can give them an adrenaline boost by doing something like, get your fucking dog under control. And all of a sudden they'll be like, whoa, and they're way stronger than they were a second ago. And um, and so occasionally you have to go there, right? But I try really hard not to, go there if I don't have to. So when I take my dog out in public and I'm, I know other dogs are gonna be around, I generally get out of the car, And I scan the parking lot before I even open the door for my dog. And I'm like, all right, what are we dealing with here? Okay, this looks pretty good. And then I'll get my dog out. Now, there's people that, you know, my expectation of other people in public is just that they keep their dog under control, meaning you've got a leash and you control how far it's allowed to go. I don't care if it's obedient. I don't care if it's, you know, at the end of the lead, trying to sniff everything, as long as you're holding it back and you're not letting it come to me and my dog, I don't care everybody can have their own dogs the way that they want to have them but if the dog starts coming towards us i just i start polite and i say i'm sorry would you mind keeping your dog away from my dog now sometimes the pet stupid people will say oh it's okay he's friendly with dogs i usually say something like mine's not even though mine is stable it's just (laughs) a way of like politely saying i don't care if your dog is good with other dogs I don't want you or your dog near me get away from me right yeah and if they won't comply at that point then i get a little bit more nasty but i try and keep it polite and 99 of the time polite works right if you're just like i'm sorry would you mind keeping your dog under control for me or keeping your dog over there and most people just go oh okay and they keep their dog away from me and then me and my dog i go <laughs> first and we go wherever we're gonna go and we just keep our distance from those people Um, If I'm on a sidewalk or something like that and I see somebody getting dragged by their dog, I'll usually divert off the sidewalk a little bit, turn so I can face the people coming, tell my dog to sit, leave it alone, let them walk by, and then we'll carry on. And so I deal with it by controlling my space, and I do that by either, you know, I start politely, and then if I need to, I get a little more nasty, especially if I don't have the ability to move as easily, or I just move away from them and I, I don't allow the interaction to occur in the first place. Cool,
0: man. That's, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot to that. It, it makes me really want one, though. And, and we talked. I mean, you know, even Mel was like, she wants to come out and see the kennel and, and see what you guys are doing. Maybe we'll set that up soon. We'll come right out and take Absolutely. some pictures and stuff and, and, uh, and get to talking about it. Um, oh, um, but tell people where they can find you, man. Like uh, websites, socials, all those good things. Where can, where can everybody find you and, and, uh, and check out your operation?
3: Absolutely. On almost all the social medias, except for Facebook, we're at Fortress Canine uh, for the dog training side uh, on Instagram. We have at Fortress Canine If you want to see lots of pictures of Malinois German Shepherd and Dutch Shepherd puppies, uh, pictures and videos there. And then our website is Fortress Canine And the canine and all of our stuff is the letter K and the number nine. So it's not the word spelled out. And, uh, and then if you're interested, if you already have a dog and you're interested in getting dog training uh, we have canineacademy.us 9 academyus and uh, so it's not .com. It's K9Academy.us because the .com they want twenty five thousand dollars for. So maybe the, <laughs> I'm going to bring the price down after a while. But um, and uh, and that basically it's everything from you know I just got this puppy. What the heck do I do with it? And here's how you size a crate. Here's how we do our feeding and watering. Here's how we introduce them to basic commands. To here's how we start an adult dog that has no obedience. So it, it wasn't my favorite thing to do, but I had a client who had gotten some puppies from us and had done no training with them for like a year. And they were like, we know we screwed up, but what, can we pay you to train these dogs at this level? And I was like, you know what? I really need some K9 Academy videos on this. So I'll do it because I can record it and put that up on K9 Academy. So we have a bunch of videos on there, I think five or six that show like, okay, so we got this adult male And if it was a young male, that was a Malinois, I'm going to deliberately create the frustration that causes an aggression issue. So I can correct it when they're really small, because it's easy to correct when they're small and then they, they don't ever do it again. But now I've got this dog that if it decides it wants to bite me, we're going to have a fight on our hands and, and I'm probably going to be patching myself up a little bit. And I'd prefer not to do that if I can help it. So here's how we don't frustrate the dog, right? We can, instruct them in what we want them to do without bringing them to the point of frustration that they want to be aggressive. And so we have some of that in there. And then we work all the way up to off lead obedience and how we kind of transition from using the lead to not needing the lead anymore. That's
0: cool, man. I had a buddy, you know, Sue came out of Sage this last one. Um, We didn't go out on it, uh, but we did go by the G camp when the guys were setting it up. And and one of our, one of our buddies there um, had been bit by his dog on his hand. And his hand was swollen up because he wasn't taking care of it, right? Um, But, but yeah, so, you know, and he's got two big German shepherds that go everywhere with him. Um, So here's one last question, man. And I'm going to get you out of here because, you know, we ran a little over, but this has been awesome. So Will's asking, do you train service animals for medical or emotional support? Interesting question.
3: We occasionally work with uh, charities for veterans and we'll do service dogs for them. And, uh, but they're, they're essentially PTSD dogs primarily. So they're, they don't have a lot of specific tasks that they need. It's more of a companion to help with the PTSD and the hypervigilance, um, that, that most guys have when they are struggling with that. Um, as a general rule, no, we have, um, we have a a system that we use with our protection dogs. And if I have to do a service dog, especially that has specific tasks that are required, I have to stop what i'm doing with this because i typically work between six and 12 dogs at a time and so i bring out a group of dogs and then we work whatever the thing is and then we put everybody away so if i have to stop that to work with one dog it's very inefficient for us in in the way that we've set up our training programs so as a general rule i don't but we have made exceptions here and there over the years um i will say it's cheaper to find somebody else to do a service dog for you than me, because if I do decide to do it, I'm going to make sure it's worth it to me to, to put that time and energy into that dog. And um, and most people that need service dogs typically aren't people who have a lot of money. And yeah. uh, so they're, they're usually on some kind of disability or something like that. So if it's a veteran, my recommendation is connect with some of the veteran organizations that do service dogs and uh, and we're happy to work with them. Uh, and we do, about every couple of years, we do two to three dogs. For for different veteran organizations, my experience has been these organizations start up and they're like, yeah, we're gonna do service dogs for veterans, and I'm like, all right, cool. We'll give you guys a discount and we'll do you know as long as you do say three dogs and blah blah blah. And they raise the funds for those three dogs, and then they can't raise any more funds, and they kind of fall apart. And uh, so it's good that we get to help the veterans, but it's really difficult running a nonprofit that is sustainable over the long term. And uh, yeah. But if you can find one and, uh, and they can get you connected and, and help you out. I will say if you're a veteran uh, and you want one of our protection or we also do have just fully obedience trained dogs. So typically what will happen is, you know, every so often we'll have a dog that's just not coming into the protection work quite as fast as we would like. And if somebody wants a fully trained obedience dog, we just go, OK, we have this one or these two dogs that aren't moving as fast in the protection program as we like. We'll sell those to you as just a fully obedience trained dog. And it's a lot cheaper than a protection dog. And then you've got a good dog that if you want to do some extra stuff here and there to, for specific needs, you can. Uh, and then uh, veterans, for any dog that they get from us, get a 10% discount on all of our dog sales.
0: Nice. Well, that's awesome. Because you, you're you a vet, too. We didn't even, yes, we didn't in even get into that.
3: Yeah, I was in the Army for 12 years active duty and then about another three years between the National Guard and Reserves. And uh, really enjoyed it. If I'd been single, I probably would have stayed in. But uh, as they say, the needs of the Army and the needs of me got too far separated after about 12 years. And I just went, well, it's been fun, boys, but I'm moving on to do other things. And it was right about then that the dogs were coming in as a real viable full-time uh, option. And uh, so I went ahead and got out and started doing this full-time.
0: So Egghead there is asking how much for an obedience dog for vets? So, I'm sure uh, that's a variable thing, but, you know.
3: It yeah, typically our fully obedience trained dogs are 15,000 and then it's a, fi- a 10% off that for veterans. And, and all of our dogs, almost all of our dogs, occasionally somebody will come along and just pay all up front for their dog. But the vast majority of our clients, we do, uh, it's between a three and $10,000 deposit. So for a fully obedience trained dog, it's a $3,000 deposit. The standard protection dogs are five and the executive protection dogs are 10,000 deposit. And then we take however long is left in the dog's training. And we divide the rest of the payments up by the number of months we expect there to be. And uh and then so you put your deposit down, pay monthly, and then when your dog's finished training, you come and do somewhere between three and ten days, depending on the training level you got. Uh, where we spend three to ten days training you to handle your dog based on the ways that we did the training, and then you take your dog home. That's cool,
0: man. That's nice that you work with people like that too to get them into them. So yeah. So I don't, you get anything? I'm sorry, Joel. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I was just
3: saying, I don't understand the places that just go, here's your fully trained dog. Good luck. And walk away. Yeah. Like, that sounds like a really big liability problem to me.
0: Yeah, it would be. So you've been off a of quiet, you got anything you want to add man before we show close out tonight?
1: Well, I was, I was enjoying it. It got, brought me back a lot of memories of working with the dogs. And like I said, I wasn't a handler. I was in charge of the handlers and the trackers, but, uh, I I got along better with the dogs and some of the some of the handlers. Let's just put it that way. Exactly. Great <laughs> okay, breed. I'd I'd have one myself, but my my wife fell in love with the blue the Queensland blue healer. And uh mm-hmm. they're pretty good dogs too. They're pretty smart. Yep. Yep. But so you got another point. I'm 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 I've I've been through all but Good, good show.
2: Good to, good to finally get to chit chat with you, Joe, and looking forward to, uh, May with Mountain Readiness. We actually have, uh, Aussie Homestead is going to be there as well doing the, uh, sheep herding dogs. So it'd be neat to see two different styles of dogs working. Um, you know, we've got what you've got and them and, and see how, uh, you know, the difference of those. So we're, we're really fired up and excited about that. I think it's going to be a good time. And, um, and uh what what is the average time frame joel to to uh on average for a dog if you i mean not executive not the very top tier of a dog but you know uh that personal protection dog that for the for the average family what what kind of time frame do you look at with with a dog
3: so for the training they're typically between 14 and 20 months old so just under a year and a half to just over a year and a half is there? Yeah, and we've always got dogs at different levels. So some people, you know, want their dog in the next couple months, and we've usually got right. dogs that can accommodate that. And some people need the time frame to pay the dog off; they need the longer time frame. So uh, we can pick like a puppy, and they can put the puppy under contract, and then they have a longer time frame to pay the dog off.
2: Awesome, awesome. We're looking forward to it, Joe. Also looking forward to signing those waivers. So absolutely,
3: <laughs> we'll make sure we have them. I'll also bring the hand gauntlets, just in case your hands stick out the end of the sleeves. Um,
2: my dogs yeah, yeah, like do body that.
3: hands. And, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. my hands aren't as calloused as they
2: used to be. I need the, I yeah. need those. Excuse me. Those. Yeah, we
3: have these leather <laughs> things that you put over your hands, and there's a little strap inside you can hold on to, so it kind of closes that gap if your hands stick out just a little bit in the uh, end of the jackets. You know, I always kind of chuckle when I see the guys with their hands sticking out of the jackets, and the dogs just bite the the suit itself. And I'm like, man, if I deployed my dogs on those, they, their hands would be ripped to pieces.
2: But...
1: <laughs>
0: thanks for the thanks is over for there you know shaking that. his
1: head. I see him always no, not like, not oh my god, oh well, my god, my
0: Dogs, I'm not afraid of them in the least bit because uh, I, I just know that some like me and some don't, and they let me know real quick which way they're going, and and mm. and I work with it. So um, I've never had to shoot a dog. I've had I pulled a gun on lots of them, lots of them, um, but uh, but never had to shoot a dog. and I don't want to, but uh, I'm not afraid of them. You know, so, this is going to be fun to me, actually. And, uh, yeah. and this has been awesome, Joel, having you on here. Like, everybody in the comments has, has loved this. Uh, yeah. You know, bringing some quality info like this to folks. You know, we might do this again in the future. Um,
3: Absolutely.
0: You know, for sure. So, and me and Mel, we definitely want to come out and check out the Kennel Man and, and hang out for a little while and, and watch some of that. I think it'd be pretty cool to see.
3: Yeah, we do. Maybe love we can shoot a little video
0: and make a little promo for you guys that we can run on here every now and then. That'd um, be fantastic. Yep, But we've got great. mountain readiness coming up in May, guys. So, you know, get your tickets. And remember, T and I, we, we got to work. We'll get with Carl and we'll work out this giveaway, T, of when we're going to do that for the technical refinement classes. Yep, yep. So, yes, I will be seeing him in April. I'll actually be at his, you know, March. March, I'll be up at Carl's place and I'll talk with him about that and we'll get it sorted out. So.
2: Sounds like a plan. Sue, are you going to get in the bike suit, man?
1: Absolutely not. That's a no. I, the, Absolutely the, not. the last name's LaRue. So if it's a German Shepherd, I will surrender immediately. And uh of course, Josh is only 5'10. I'm 6'4. So. Yes. My forearm will be sticking out, and the way he just screamed—I've seen Belgian malwares work, and I'm—I'm I'm going to stay up on the top tier of the the bleachers and watch you do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be fun because everybody will be at not
0: readiness, Joel. So all of us will be there. So we're gonna have a good time, man.
3: Awesome! I'm looking forward to it. <laughs>
0: Me too. And
3: thanks for coming on. Like I said, we'll probably
0: invite you back, you know, in the future to to do this again. Everybody seemed to have a lot of questions and enjoyed it. So it would be great to do this again with you, man. Would love to. And on that note, guys, y'all know the drill. Me and Mel will be doing a Facebook Live tomorrow because we won't be doing one next week because we'll be at the Florida Capitol uh, on the 8th doing stuff with the politicians up there. We're going to get to hang out with the leadership a little bit and, and ask them some questions and things. So, We'll see how that goes. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, boy. So I've got a post on my Facebook page. Go look for it. If you got a question you want me to ask them directly, put it on there. I'll try to work it in. So I'll do my best. Awesome. And on that note, guys, you all know the drill. Be good. Be good at it. We will catch you next time. And thanks for hanging out with us tonight.